7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast. It's 3 p.m. in London, Kyoto, Japan, 11 o'clock at night. And in Malaysia, it's 1943. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. And my headphones just died. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, my. Well, according to what I see, I still have some sound. But according to what I hear, I got nothing. Let me try and fix this live. Live on the air. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, hang on. I got to go back here and play with that. Oh, yes. There we go. <laughs> Now it's working. Now I can actually hear myself. What a treat. And it just stopped again. Unbelievable. This studio needs a revamp really bad. I don't know why. <laughs> All right. If I don't touch anything, it'll probably be okay. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> oh, man. It's been like that. Like, from when I first started to get ready for the stream tonight. Unbelievable. Hello, welcome in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, across all of our live platforms. Hello, uh, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitch.tv, wherever you may be watching. However, I have to start off with an apology. Rumble.com. We were supposed to be premiering our very first live tonight on Rumble.com. And if you don't have a subscription over there, please go get one. It's free, no cost to you. And subscribe to J. Sheldon No Pants. Just look for that logo, J. Sheldon No Pants at rumble.com. And hopefully beginning now, Monday night, if we get all of the malfunctions fixed, I'll be live on Rumble also. So you can find me on four different live platforms. You can currently find the show on rumble.com after we air it live because we record it and we upload it to rumble jay sheldon no plant no pants no plants <laughs> um but uh can i just say rhb bank you're idiots okay you're idiots I i'll just be honest look i'm always honest with you on this show i don't pull punches i say what's on my mind and rhb bank you're freaking morons okay I authorized the credit card for international transactions more than a day ago, and it's still not cleared for international transactions. So RHB, whom I have tried calling every day now for three days in a row, held on listening to that insane, ridiculous, our customer services are all busy and we've assigned because of the COVID virus, we had to readjust and we, well, you know what? There are a bunch of people in a, in a customer service with, you know, a headphone on with a microphone. I, I really don't think you need to move them around much, okay? So then after they leave you on hold for like four and a half years, they say, if you want us to call your, you back, put in your number. So we do that. And then guess what? No call, nothing. Three times for three days, no answer, no call, no call back, nothing, RHB, family-friendly middle finger to you, okay? 
fix the system. It sucks. How's my eyebrows? I was plucking my eyebrows tonight. See, I told you I'd be honest with you. When you get to be my age, when you get to be an old man, you get those what look more like head hairs growing out of your eyebrows. So I have to keep pulling them out. I saw somebody, by the way, this stuck in my head. I don't know why. Uh, for women, mostly, when you're drawing on your fake eyebrows or if you're, you know, doing your eyebrows, I love this. This is so cool. Here's a, here's a rule to live by. Eyebrows are meant to look like sisters, not twins. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Nice. So do mine look like sisters? I suppose. I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> hey, you know what? This is a potpourri show, and we talk about almost everything and anything, including my eyebrows. I should have put that in the thumbnail. Tonight on I'm Not Wearing Pants live broadcast, Jay's Eyebrows. Yay! <laughs> Hello, Luna Amethyst. Welcome in. <laughs> Welcome into the eyebrow stream. Oh, my God. By the way, to uh, all my friends back in the U.S., happy Labor Day weekend. Yes, it is Labor Day weekend. Um, not the same as our Labor Day here in Malaysia, which I forget when that even is. I think it's in May or something. But anyway, yeah, this is Labor Day weekend. When I was a kid, this would be the last holiday weekend of the summer. And then usually we would go back to school uh, the following week, Monday, or sometimes just a couple days later. It was always September when we got back to school after uh, what seemed like an endless summer in my, my youth, in my youth. <laughs> so happy Labor Day weekend to all my friends back in, uh, back in the USSA. Oh, wrong song. Okay. Uh, coming up tonight, just how much more freaking stupid can these moron communist idiots in Australia be? You will not believe the draconian Orwellian nightmare that the people for somehow you all apparently elected into power down there. Are you stupid? Apparently they are. We'll tell you about that coming up. And a really cool way of getting around a shipping problem. <laughs> tell you about that, too. And got lots more stuff also. And, of course, our book, we're continuing. We're on Chapter 5 of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. So that's be coming up at the end of the stream tonight. Um, right now, it's time. Miko Update. Miko update. <laughs> She's great. She's sleeping. Miko, are you out there? Come here, baby. Good girl. Miko. Nah. She came in earlier when I was getting set up. But now she's comfortable in the aircon, as usual, ignoring me. Uh, and I, you know what? I mentioned this a while back. She's doing very well. She had a bit of an upset stomach. She has a very sensitive stomach. But um, uh, she's been doing great. She t went for a long walk tonight, as usual. But I mentioned before how the bottom of her feet look like koala bears. We seem to have an Australian theme going on the show tonight. Well, 
here's the proof if you needed some. Check this out. Hang on, let me move it over so you know oh, it's it's slid too far. See all my little life events? This is my actual Facebook page. Oh, not like that. Come on, guys. Here we go. There you go. Let me just, I'll edit this out so you can only see that part. This is Miko's feet. See that? Look at this. Is this not a little koala bear? Or, I mean, at least a bear. See that? The little bear feet, bear arms, bear head. <laughs> there you go. So that's what I was talking about when I said Miko has a koala bear on her feet. Uh, she really does. <laughs> How cool is that? All right. I just had to share that in my Miko update tonight because she's adorable and we love her. Uh, changes may not be saved. No, we want to leave. Okay. <sighs> All right. We're going to get just jump right into it because <laughs> it's beyond stupid. Um, I got to readjust. Hold on. You're going to just have to live with me because I'm doing this live. Here we go. Australians' next authoritarian move is so insane, it would make George Orwell blush. Seriously. This was just published yesterday. At what point does, and from Red State, at what point does an ostensibly free country cease to be a liberal democracy? Wherever you choose to draw that line, rest assured Australia has not just passed it, but they've done a double backflip over it while shooting double birds in the air. Yeah, you know, family-friendly middle fingers. Yeah. Um, these down-under police abuse, the government keeping people essentially locked in their homes for all but an hour a day, uh, measures vary among Australians, uh, Australia's six states. But if you challenge tyranny to one-up itself, it usually delivers... And that is the case in South Australia as they prepare a new COVID mitigation app that is so insane it would make Orwell blush. Now, this, this is not satire. Listen to this. Interstate travel within Australia is severely restricted. And the government of South Australia, one of the country's six states, developed and is now testing an app as about as Orwellian as any in the free world. Look, we here in Malaysia have an app. It's called My Sajatra. It lets you check into places. Uh, I can, maybe I can show it to you on my phone. Um, I'm not sure. If you're listening to the podcast, by the way, thanks for the downloads and thanks for listening. But um, yeah, there's no real private information on there, but that's eh, it doesn't show up there. Anyway, this lets you check in by scanning a QR code, and uh, it tracks basically where you were and when you were there. The new version, when it gets updated, will let you check out of an area. But um, And this has information about vaccine status and health status, things like that on it. Uh, it. It doesn't really interfere in your life. It doesn't really track you, at least not like this. Check it out. They're going to force you to download the app that combines facial recognition and geolocation. And then at random times throughout the day, they're going to text you. And then you have 15 minutes to take a picture of your face in the location where you are supposed to be. And if you don't, the police department will be sent to follow up in person. 
We don't tell them how often or when on a random basis, but they have to reply within 15 minutes. Premier Stephen Marshall explained, uh, I think every South Australian should feel pretty proud that we are the national pilot for the home-based quarantine app. I think every South Australian should probably uh, figure out a way to get you out of whatever position you hold and fire your ass. This is unbelievable. Um, in a response to a question whether he'd gone too far with respect to imposing a curfew, avoiding the question of why a curfew was needed when no other state had one, Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews replied, it's not about human rights. It's about human life. Politicians have actually begun to feel superior and virtuous in their pursuit to crush individual rights and to bring about a dystopian hellscape. Scary place to be for a nation that used to be really a symbol of freedom in the Southern Hemisphere. And sadly for those people that live in Australia, there are very few signs that things are going to ease up anytime soon. The government has finally admitted that zero COVID is unattainable. Duh. Officials are still pursuing mitigation that pretty much amounts to that. This is absolutely unbelievable. Talk about an overreach. Mm. And by the way, if you need any more proof of just how crazy they've become down there, this isn't China. This picture is the Howard Springs COVID quarantine camp in Australia for the dangerous people. Look familiar? Mm, sadly, it should. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How about this one? This kind of relates to what we're talking about. Where are we? Here we go. Okay, I'm sorry, a lot of clicks going on tonight here. In life, there are those who will tell you what to think. And then there are those who will teach you how to think. The first type of individual wants power, and they want your dependency. The second type wants to empower you to live independently. Very nice. That from... High Vibe Multidimensional Tribes page on Facebook, a post from a fellow who calls himself the captain. Truer words. Passports are all the talk these days. Somebody, <laughs> somebody posted this. I think it's all faded out so that the, uh, the, the Facebook bots won't pick up on it. I don't know why. But it's rather cool. Jab passports. We can't let you travel. Listen up. This is, this is the sense, okay, in these passports. We can't let you travel in case the thing that's already there, everywhere, gets everywhere. And the people who are allowed to travel will travel directly into communities full of people who aren't allowed to travel. We, it ends with the line, we are apparently just that stupid. Yeah. Okay. 
it might be time for me to move back to Florida. What do you think? This headline caught my eye. Uh, how can I do this so that you can see it? Let me move this over here and let me just open this up. Nope, that's not the way. How about like this? The neighbor's dogs are barking, sorry. Okay, from Florida, good old Ron DeSantis. Gotta love him. Ask for a COVID vaccine proof and you're going to face a $5,000 USD fine in the state of Florida. You hear that? Those stupid dogs. Florida is going to start issuing a $5,000 fine to businesses, schools, and government agencies that require people to show proof of vaccination. Uh, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill earlier this year that banned vaccine passports. The fine starts September 16th if you are asked to show proof. Promises made, promises kept, said uh, DeSantis spokesperson Taryn uh, Fensky on Wednesday. And uh, yeah, the story goes on, but he's putting his money where his mouth is. So in Florida, if you ha are asked to show proof, of private medical information, $5,000 fine. Boom. Gone. Ha! God love Ron DeSantis. <laughs> okay. How about this one? Who's Rene Des Descartes? Rene Descartes. I have no idea, but he said something I liked a lot because these days, since we're on the subject, there's, you know, throwing around this medication, that medication, what Joe Rogan took, what works, what doesn't work. Look, do your own research, make your own decisions, and whatever decision you make, it's right for you. You do you. You don't need to listen to other people. You just do you, okay? Consult with your doctor, check with medical people, people who know, get more than one opinion. I do me, you do you. I'm not telling you what to do, nor should anybody tell you what to do. You can take advice. You can get advice from doctors, which you should. But find the truth. Find your own truth. If you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt as far as possible, all things. Truer words from Rene Descartes, whoever that might be. I have no idea. I'll look him up later, probably. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. What else have we got going on? Oh, 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 yes. This is so cool. This is so cool. <coughs> Excuse me. They had a shipping problem, this bicycle company, from uh, a Dutch bike company was shipping. Here, let me show you the picture. Okay, there you go. A simple solution to a big problem. I love this. In 2015, a Dutch bike company called Van Moof began shipping their bikes to the USA. The problem was a lot of the bikes wound up arriving at their destinations damaged. They felt that U.S. shipping companies weren't handling them properly. 
So they tried better packaging, they tried tougher boxes, nothing worked. Every time they ship a bike from, uh, what is Dutch, Holland, right? Yeah, to the US, it winds up getting damaged. And they found a very simple solution that did the trick. Since their boxes are as big as expensive flat screen televisions, they simply did this. Take a look at that picture. If you're listening on the podcast, sorry, uh, you can go to rumble.com slash J Sheldon, no pants, watch the video version of our show. Uh, but anyway, it basically, it's a big giant flat screen TV with a drawing of a bicycle on it. And it says outsmart the city van Noof electrified five. They put an image of a flat screen TV on the box that held a bicycle and it worked. Overnight, the shipping damages dropped by 70 to 80%. A simple fix for a big problem. Talk about a light bulb moment. What a cool idea. <laughs> and it worked. It actually worked. That's brilliant. Ah. All right. Here's another light bulb moment, a little closer to my home here in Malaysia. Hold on, sorry, coffee break. Uh, coffee Bean. Uh, they're not paying for this plug, by the way, but Coffee Bean, if you'd like to sponsor the show, no pants at jsheldon.com. You'll see the address here on the scroll. Uh, no pants at jsheldon.com, Coffee Bean. You, you can talk to me. We'll, we'll chat about uh, okay, anyway, Coffee Bean has a new straw. You know, plastics, litter, reusables. Check this out. This is so cool. Boom. Coffee Bean's new rice straw is edible. The Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf in Malaysia, hashtag Save Our Oceans, uh, started off on the right foot with our biodegradable, edible, and 100% turtle-friendly rice straw. Some of the steps you've taken to restore and protect the oceans. There you go. And there's a little close-up here of the straw. It's kind of purple in color. You can see somebody's taking a bite out of it. <laughs> but, but this straw is actually made out of rice, and it's edible. What a cool idea. I wonder how long it lasts in the drink before it gets all mushy and mucky and falls apart. I'm assuming long enough that you can get to the bottom of the drink with it. But hats off and a hearty hi-ho to, uh, to Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf here in Malaysia. I, I, this is from Malaysia, but I don't know if perhaps they've also done that in other countries. I would hope so. It is a cool idea and a really, really cool thing. This is from Reddit, by the way, a Reddit post. But it's true. I know a lot of people say, oh, Reddit. No, this is this is actually actually the fact. Uh, all right, what else have we got going on here? Let's see. Sorry, I'm just trying to get chat streams updated as we go here. There we go. Uh, okay. Uh, one more. One more. <laughs> okay, one more before we get to our book. But this is classic. This is such a classic. My friend Barry uh, over in uh, Connecticut posted this, my home state. Barry Jeshurun, thank you so much for doing this because it is funny as hell. I'm going to leave this picture up 
because it kind of describes the story I'm about to tell you. True story, by the way. The U.S. Standard Railroad Gauge, that's the distance in between the two rails, is 4 feet 8.5 inches, which is a really weird number, but that's what it is. Why was that gauge used? Well, because that's the way they built them in England, and English engineers designed the first U.S. railroads. Why did the English build them like that? Well, because the first rail lines were built by the same people who built the wagon tramways, and that's the gauge they used. And why did they use that gauge? Well, because the people who built the tramways used the same jigs and tools that they'd used for building wagons, which used the same wheel spacing. Follow me here. This gets weird. It's already weird. Well, they had that odd spacing because when they tried to use any other spacing between the wheels, they would break, often on some of the old long-distance roads in England. So you can see the spacing of the wheel nuts, uh, wheel ruts, I should say. And so the old rutted roads were built in Imperial Rome, built the roads uh, for their legions, and those same roads have been used ever since. So what about the ruts in the roads? Well, Roman war chariots formed the initial ruts, which everyone else had to match or run the risk of destroying the wagon wheels. So the Roman chariots' distances carved the ruts in the roads. When they wanted to use wagons on the roads, they had to make the ruts, the wagon wheels, the same distance as the Roman chariot ruts. And hence... When it came over here for the engineers to build our railroad system in the U.S., they used the same gauge. Weird. Uh, they ran, okay, they were alike, a wheel spacing. So, um, the next time you're handed a spec procedure or process and wonder what horse's ass came up with this, you can be exactly right. Imperial Roman army chariots were made just wide enough to accommodate the butt end of two war horses. Now a twist in the story. When you see a space shuttle sitting on the launch pad, there are two big booster rockets attached to the sides of the main fuel tank. Those are solid rocket boosters, or SRBs. The SRBs are made by Theocol at their factory in Utah. The engineers who designed them would have preferred to make them a lot fatter, but the SRBs had to be shipped by train from the factory, which happens to run through a tunnel in the mountains. And the SRBs had to fit through that tunnel. The tunnel is just slightly wider than the railroad track. As you know, it's about as wide as two horses behinds. So, a major space shuttle design feature, which is arguably the world's most advanced transportation system, was determined over 2,000 years ago by the width of a horse's ass. <laughs> oh, man. That's an absolutely true story from back in Roman times, the chariots, the wagons, the trains.
and the SRBs on the butt end of a space shuttle or whatever rocket's going up. <laughs> All determined by the size of not one, but two horses' butts. <laughs> Just insane. All right. Uh, let me see. <laughs> Let's see what else we've got. Uh, anything? Yeah, okay. We talked about that. We talked about that. Good. Got that. Okay, cool. Almost time for our book segment. But before we do that, I will invite you, please, to head over to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants. Sign up for a free account. Costs nothing. Subscribe. Uh, just hit that subscribe button on uh, jsheldonnopants on rumble.com. And we will be there good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, uh, on Monday, live, in addition to our other Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv. Uh, we'll also be, hopefully, over on Rumble. So we'll, we'll see what happens between now and Monday night. I'm still trying to get a hold of the idiots at RHB. Okay. Uh, way back in... Uh, where is it? Here we go. Yeah. Um... Oh, now Miko's barking. Cool. Way back in 1897, H.G. Wells had a serialized story uh, published by Pearson's Magazine in the UK and Cosmopolitan Magazine in the US. First hardcover was in 1898, a year later, and it is H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. It is a classic, classic book. And uh, we have been reading chapters in our book of the War of the Worlds. Uh, for the last four streams now, we're going to move on to chapter five. As you know, the cylinder opened and these weird slimy creatures came out. And that's where we left it at chapter four. Chapter five is called The Heat Ray. After the glimpse I had had of the Martians emerging from the cylinder in which they had come to the earth from their planet. A kind of fascination paralyzed my actions. I remained standing knee-deep in the heather, staring at the mound that hid them. I was a battleground of fear and curiosity. I didn't dare go back toward the pit, but I felt a passionate longing to peer into it. I began walking, therefore, in a big curve, seeking some point of vantage and continually looking at the sand heaps that hid these newcomers to our earth. Once a leash of thin black whips, like the arms of an octopus, flashed across the sunset and was immediately withdrawn. And afterwards a thin rod rose up, joint by joint, bearing at its apex a circular disk that spun with a wobbling motion. What could be going on there? Most of the spectators had gathered in one or two groups, one a little crowd towards walking the other, a knot of people in the direction of Chopham. Evidently, they were sharing my mental conflict. There were a few near me. One man I approached, he was... I perceived a neighbor of mine, though I didn't know his name, and accosted, but it was scarcely a time for articulate conversation. What ugly brutes, he said. Good God, what ugly brutes, he repeated this over 
and over again. Did you see the man in the pit? I said, but he made no answer to that. We became silent and stood watching for a time side by side, deriving, I fancy, a certain comfort in one another's company. Then I shifted my position to a little knoll that gave me the advantage of a yard or more of elevation, and when I looked for him presently, he was walking towards walking. The sunset faded to twilight before anything further happened. The crowd far away on the left towards walking seemed to grow, and I heard now a faint murmur from it. The little knot of people towards Chopham dispersed, there was scarcely an imitation of movement from the pit. It was this, as much as anything, that gave people courage, and I suppose the new arrivals from walking had helped to restore confidence. At any rate, as the dusk came on, a slow, intermittent movement upon the sand pits began, a movement that seemed to gather force as the stillness of the evening about the cylinder remained unbroken. Vertical black figures in twos and threes would advance, stop, watch, and advance again, spreading out as they did in a thin, irregular crescent that promised to enclose the pit in its attenuated horns. I, too, on my side, began to move toward the pit. Then I saw some cabmen and others had walked boldly into the sand pits, and heard the clatter of hooves and the gride of wheels. I saw a lad trundled off the barrow of apples, and then, within thirty yards of the pit, advancing from the direction of Horsel, I noticed a little black knot of men, the foremost of whom was waving a white flag. This was the deputation. There had been a hasty consultation, and since the Martians were evidently, in spite of their repulsive forms, intelligent creatures, it had been resolved to show them by approaching them with signals that we, too, were intelligent. Flutter, flutter went the flag, first to the right, then to the left. It, it was far, far too far for me to recognize anyone there, but afterwards I learned that Ogilvy, Stent, and Henderson were with others in this attempt at communication. This little group had, in its advance, dragged inwards, so to speak, the circumference of the now almost complete circle of people, and a number of dim black figures followed it at discreet distances. Suddenly... There was a flash of light, and a quantity of luminous greenish smoke came out of the pit in three distinctive puffs, which drove up one after the other straight into the still air. This smoke, or flame perhaps would be a better word for it, was so bright that the deep blue sky overhead and the hazy stretches of brown common towards Chertsey, set with black pine trees, seemed to darken abruptly as these puffs arose and to remain the darker after their dispersal. At the same time, a faint hissing sound became audible. Beyond the pit stood the little wedge of people with the white flag at its apex, 
arrested by these phenomena, a little knot of small vertical black shapes upon the black ground. As the green smoke arose, their faces flashed out, pallid green. As the green smoke arose, and then faded again as it vanished. Then slowly the hissing passed into a humming, into a long, loud, droning noise. Slowly a humped shape rose out of the pit, and the ghost of a beam of light seemed to flicker out from it. Forthwith flashes of actual flame, a bright glare leaping from one to another sprang from the scattered group of men. It was as if some invisible jet impinged upon them and flashed into white flame. It was as if each man were suddenly and momentarily turned to fire. Then, by the light of their own destruction, I saw them staggering and falling and their supporters turning to run. I stood staring, not as yet realizing that this was death leaping from man to man in that little distant crowd. All I felt was that it was something very strange, an almost noiseless, blinding flash of light. And a man fell headlong and lay still. And as the unseen shaft of heat passed over them, pine trees burst into fire and every dry furze brush became with one dull thud a mass of flames. And far away towards Naphill, I saw the flashes of trees and hedges and wooden buildings suddenly set alight. It was sweeping round swiftly and steadily, this flaming death, this invisible, inevitable sword of heat, I perceived it coming toward me by the flashing butch bushes it touched. It was too astounding and stupefied to stir. I heard the, the crackle of fire in the sand pits and the sudden squeal of a horse that was as suddenly stilled. Then it was as if an invisible yet intensely heated finger were drawn through the heather between me and the Martians. And all along a curving line beyond the sand pits, the dark ground smoked and crackled. Something fell with a crash far away to the left, where the road from walking station opens out into the common. Forthwith, with hissing and humming ceased, and the black dome-like object sank slowly out of sight into the pit. All this happened with such swiftness that I had stood motionless, dumbfounded, and dazzled by the flashes of light. Had that death swept through a full circle, it must inevitably have slain me in my surprise. But it passed and spared me and left the night about me suddenly dark and unfamiliar. The undulating common seemed now dark almost to blackness except where the roadways lay gray and pale under the deep blue sky of the early night. It was dark and suddenly void of men. Overhead the stars were mustering, and in the west the sky was still a pale, bright, almost greenish-blue. 
the tops of the pine trees and the hoofs of horsel came out sharp and black against the western afterglow. The Martians and their appliances were altogether invisible, save for that thin mast upon which their restless mirror wobbled. Patches of bush and isolated trees here and there smoked and glowed still, and the houses towards walking station were sending up spires of flames into the stillness of the evening air. Nothing was changed save for that, and a terrible astonishment. The little group of black specks with the flag of white had been swept out of existence, and the stillness of the evening, so it seemed to me, had scarcely been broken. It came to me that I was upon this dark common, helpless, unprotected, and alone. Suddenly, like a thing falling upon me from without, came fear. With an effort, I turned and began a stumbling run through the heather. A fear I felt was no rational fear, but a panic terror, not only of the Martians, but of the dusk and the stillness all about me. Such an extraordinary effect in unmanning me it had that I ran weeping silently as a, as a child might do. Once I'd turned, I did not dare to look back. I remember I felt an extraordinary persuasion that I was being played with, that presently, when I was upon the very verge of safety, this mysterious death, as swift as the passage of light, would leap after me from the pit about the cylinder and strike me down. And that's the end of chapter five. Coming up next time, chapter six is called The Heat Ray in the Chobham Road. Cool beans. <laughs> nice. All right, that is H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, chapter five. Very cool. Guys, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Happy Saturday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I will see you Monday with all good luck, hopefully not only on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch.tv, but we're trying our best to go live on rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants. Find us there, sign up for a free account, subscribe, no cost to you. Just check us out over on Rumble. We appreciate that. We need your subscriptions over there too. All right, and if you want to help support the show, don't forget patreon.com slash jsheldon. You can sign up to help us out. That's it for me. I'm out of here. Thanks. I will see you on Monday night. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>